This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. What a difference a month makes, or at least that's my starting point in today's show. A month ago, Joe Biden was the guy who couldn't get anything done. Nothing's going through Congress. Inflation is running wild. Gas prices are sky high. And all of the prognosticators of which I'm aware, uh, basically the only question was by what margins would the Democrats lose both the House and the Senate? The fact that they would lose was a given. In the last month, big, big legislative victories for, for President Biden that were seemingly pulled out of out of nowhere. I mean, they were old proposals, but they looked to be dead. Uh, I watched the signing and uh, president signed the anti-inflation. That's a funny name, but uh, they all they're not alone in giving name. That really wasn't about inflation, but uh, inflation's a concern. So we call this the anti-inflation bill. And it noticed who got the pen. One Joe Manchin, clearly key to to uh, this finally going through. We've had a month of only a month, but a month of zero inflation. Uh, gas prices are spiraling downward. And the, and to add all this, there's been a series of primaries and the Republicans have nominated rather extreme candidates that Donald Trump is doing well. His candidates are getting nominated. The question is whether or not they're electable. Uh, the former president may be fight, uh, facing criminal indictments. And uh, as a result, I think, of all of this, the Republican Senate Campaign Committee pulls out, at least for the moment, out of Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Washington, all three states that they expected to win. The website 538 Nate Silver now says that it is a probability that the Democrats keep the Senate. Uh, You could hardly envision a a more radical turnaround in affairs. And it it demonstrates that uh, the old adage that, uh, you know, a month or or a week sometimes is an eternity in uh, in politics. Anyway, to make sense of all this or or to disagree with everything I've just said, uh, Paul Benz from uh, Arizona High Ground is here. And uh, you've you've heard my take on on the last month. I've rarely seen such a. Uh, you know, such a situation of despair turning into hope for one party over based on such a multitude of factors, all of which has occurred uh, since I've gone on vacation. So, right. So, I mean, we've heard of an October surprise. This certainly feels a little like an August surprise. Mm-hmm. The, the, the landscape has shifted uh, pretty significantly. We do see that uh, many of the Trump-supported candidates, particularly in crowded elections, have been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, the the trending theme we've seen there is that it gives you about forty percent of the vote. So That's a, exactly, that was exactly the number that I have been citing. Right, the, and and the arithmetic is in a two-way race. That's not necessarily enough. But it's sure a heck of a good start. In a multitude uh, candidate race, it's almost certain victory. Right. And and that's what we saw in the statewide races here in Arizona. We've seen in other places. I believe the gubernatorial candidate from Wisconsin got just about 40 percent of the vote. So Trump's worth about 40 percent of the vote. It is the most solidified base. And so that's the mm-hmm. base that they've been talking to. And these are these are Republican primary voters. And that's where the base of support for Donald Trump is. Right. And, and those are the folks that are the most passionate. And so mm-hmm. we know those folks are going to show up. The question is. 
who shows up around them. Are there additional folks that get enthused by this? I think other external factors that you didn't mention. The Abortion. Rule, yeah, the Roe versus Wade ruling certainly impacted that. I think gas prices coming down definitely impacts that. Or at uh, least it'll take the edge off the Democratic net negative. I think actually uh, it, in, it's one of those things that has the unintended consequence of invigorating Republic or Democrats. I think that mm-hmm. there's going to be Democrats that are invigorated by that, particularly women, unaffiliated women. I know a lot of Republican women who are quite frankly upset about it as well. Uh, so, you're talking abortion, not abortion, gas yes, prices. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. the, uh, when it comes to the road decision, and I think Republicans know they're vulnerable on that. From hearing the folks after they've reconnoitered after the primary and they go through what they want to talk about, they want to be talking about inflation. They want to be talking about public safety. They do want to be talking about Biden. They absolutely don't want to be talking about abortion. And that's true. John Gabriel at The Republic said uh, in his editorial recently, um, Biden went from terrible to meh. And I think that's probably a pretty accurate. I don't and, think suddenly Joe Biden's popular. And meh meh is a pretty big improvement. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, I do think... They, they've done a good job of sort of, I mean, I know he's had COVID and there's been other impacting mm-hmm. factors. Uh, Biden does not sound as sharp on the, on the stump, doesn't sound as mm-hmm. sharp at some of these uh, press conferences. I think they're wise to sort of use him the way that they have been using him in, mm-hmm. in putting forward these policies. I, I think there's several mitigating factors that might make this a much more close contest than we've expected because mm-hmm. Republicans have nominated candidates across the country who are more outside the mainstream and less unapologetically Trump people, unapologetically conservative. Um, as the old saying goes, you you run to the edges on both primaries, partisans. Democrats run left, Republicans run right, and then you're supposed to navigate towards the middle. That's the old uh, theory, and it seemed to have gone by the wayside the last couple of elections, which were more about uh, enthuse your base. I, I think maybe what's happened is that the Trump vote has become more and more extreme and some of those Trump people, particularly stances on abortion and some other things, may make them very difficult sells to the general public in a way that probably wasn't true four years ago. I think it, it's emboldened them. I mean, 2014 in Arizona, at least, was the lowest midterm turnout we had had in over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then 2018 was the highest we had had in 20 years. The difference between those two is Trump. Uh, he's certainly the greatest turnout mechanism for both parties that we've ever seen. <laughs> both pro uh, and against, and, yes. <laughs> and then we question, questioned in going into 2022 without Trump around, how would that impact the election? But he certainly made um, his presence felt. He certainly showed up in the state and has done quite a bit. I had wondered um, him going to rural Arizona, going to Yavapai County for his Cary Lake rally, Mm -hmm. if that would hurt him because there's not as many voters up there. It did. Yavapai County did end up having the highest voter turnout of any county in Arizona. Not as many people, but that's where his base is. is, So in a way, Prescott is the perfect place because it's enough of a town. There's some actual people there. But it's a rural community, and, and it's got enthusiasm. And but the the issue is that one only one candidate in Arizona has won statewide office without winning Maricopa County in the last twenty years. That was Diane Douglas Douglas for superintendent of public instruction, a Republican, a yep. Republican. But what we see, I think, that is a, we'll have to watch and see what the strategy is. If the Republicans abandon these metro areas across the country, don't go in and fight for these undecided votes or swing voters. Particularly in the suburbs. In the suburbs and in the metro. If they don't don't fight for those votes, if they try to do a 
just a base building exercise, mm-hmm. they will struggle um, coming up into these midterms because that's not a winning strategy. They have to win some of these other voters. They can't just win it on base alone. And, and we saw that in the last election where Donald Trump had a drop off in vote in the suburban Republican areas. Those folks voted for all the rest of the Republicans. Right. But they did not vote for Donald Trump, and that's why he lost. Well, and that's one of the things that we'll talk about, I'm sure, at some point, is voters negotiate when they look at their ballot. They're they're not suddenly going to, in Arizona, they're not suddenly going to pick all Democrats. You're Mm -hmm. not going to get a Republican to go down the ticket and say, oh, I don't like Blake Masters, I don't like Kerry Lake, so I'm going to go down and then just keep going down the ticket. I think there's going to be some picking and choosing. Arizona went uh, for Biden and went for Kelly last time, and then reelected all the Republican supervisors in Maricopa County and kept Republican control of both bodies of the legislature. Where Democrats thought they had a real chance. Uh, yeah, they thought yeah. they had a real chance. They got 16. They got within one vote, but they're still in the on the short end of the stick. And essentially, the, the legislature tends to be all or nothing, though it did put a couple of people like Paul uh, Boyer in the catbird seat because the Republicans all of a sudden needed every single vote and any one of the Republican legislators in the, in the uh, House or the Senate could hold up everything. It led to the first bipartisan budget in, in, yeah. uh, in recent history, for sure. And I think um, that was sort of complicating things. If you look at the makeup of the legislature, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, it, it's not going to be the, the Republicans who lost in the primary here were, were all replaced by Trump Republicans. The Republican caucuses in both the House and the Senate will have shifted pretty significantly right, more populist, not even conservative. Mm-hmm. Conservative, I'd say yeah. more populist going. They into call this. themselves. They use the word though, but they're really not. They're they're definitely much more populist. I mean, this notion of overturning the election and some of these things are not popular with the electorate, and so they're they're going to have challenges in coming back w- with that sort of messaging. If they if they want to talk about election fraud and the election being stolen, they're going to really struggle to attract independent and unaffiliated voters. And, and, are, so, they, and are they going to be well? When we return, we'll address the question, will they be able to stop themselves from doing that? When we return with Paul Benz here, Arizona Politics, in the Think Tank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back here with Paul Benz talking about politics and moving for a moment to the national stage. Liz Cheney, um, you know, this is as credentialed a Republican as existed. And what I think her slashing defeat shows is that you can't be anti-Trump and win a Republican nomination, certainly not in Wyoming and in in a lot of places. And uh, the uh, scenario that that the interesting one is, does she turn around? Is her... uh, negative attitude to Trump so strong that she's willing to sabotage his election. And the way you would do that would be running for president as an independent and appealing exclusively to Republican voters. One of the challenges that, first of all, that Trump's going to face is I'm fairly certain he's going to have to, he will probably be challenged by both DeSantis and Pence in the primary. Uh, I I suspect both of those will be in. And I'm not not 100% sure Trump himself wants to run for president again. I think the least thing he liked about 
the entire race for president was being president. I think he liked the power, but I think all the day-to-day responsibilities are a challenge. So I'm wondering if he rather decides to put his powers behind somebody like DeSantis and try to make him, you know, oh, I made DeSantis. But but th- but that doesn't immunize him from prosecution, which I think may be another factor. Well, and so maybe that's why he wants to run for president. Certainly he's... he's You've had worse reasons. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, agreed with that. The, the, the challenge, uh, yeah, I think Cheney, uh, she's talked about it. I know Andrew Yang and the quote-unquote forward party is already like trying to reach out to individuals and whatever. Forming a third party is fraught. Uh, you know, what we've talked about before, I know you and I have talked extensively, Mike, is that independents aren't a party. People mm-hmm. always say, well, the independents should just form a party, but they're oh. not. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying form a party. Right. I mean, third part parties in quotes, third, third person on the ballot has always been driven by a personality. Ross Perot, George Wallace, none of them survived the persona. But uh, her candidacy would be something for anti-Trump Republicans, the old guard of the Republican Party, the establishment, if you will, um, the George Wills of the conservative right. party to say, you know, the, the, the Donald Trump has betrayed true conservatism. And uh, and, you know, Will has written that the, what the Republicans need need to do is to take a bath and lose big and then resurrect themselves as a true conservative party. Well, I mean, I think that's a good strategy for, I mean, Will's right, but I'm not sure. You have a lot of challenges. First of all, being an independent, just being a third party Mm -hmm. person, not of a third party, it's very difficult. The road to get on enough states to make a difference, to impact the election is very difficult because each state has its own rules Mm -hmm. on how to qualify and and what it takes to get on the ballot. So Perot showed that it's doable. You certainly need a lot of money. I, I, I don't doubt for a second that she, that there's an, enough of an antitrust base that she could raise that money. Can she easily. raise well, the money? I mean, Ross Perot funded it basically himself. It's mm-hmm. a uh, that's the challenge. Is it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And the infrastructure of the Republican Party is basically Trump infrastructure right yes. now. So you'd have to rebuild or create your own separate infrastructure of people, and that mm-hmm. takes a lot of coordination. So just from the operational challenge, it's very difficult. But then the other other big thing is you're going to run up against a hill of Republicans that just can't bring themselves to supporting that effort, supporting a third party spoiler, as Mm -hmm. it were, handing over the presidency again to Democrats. I talked to a lot of Republicans who said, look, I don't want to vote for Trump, but I cannot bring myself to vote for Joe Biden. What do those folks do? They they might vote for Liz Cheney. That's that's the point. Can't vote. Can't bring themselves to their their diehard R's. They would never vote for uh, for Joe Biden. And you've just she would provide an alternative for them. And and I I look at that and I say five percent of those and that changes the number five percent and Trump can't win. Well, and that does sort of speak to what we Evan McMullen in Utah is another Mm -hmm. one. He he pulled a pretty significant portion of the vote. And I guess if you can give them something to vote for instead Mm -hmm. of simply something to vote against, you will motivate more. Here's here's the four. The four is traditional conservatism, you know. Uh, did you see? I'm sure you saw the Dick Cheney statement, the, the staggering statement, the, the quote that I remember verbatim because I, yeah, I just found it so staggering. Donald, this is Dick Cheney speaking. Donald Trump is the biggest threat to this country in our 246 year history. That means he's saying he's a bigger threat than Osama bin Laden. A bigger threat than Adolf Hitler. That's that's a staggering, staggering statement. 
I, it might have a little bit of recency bias. I mean, when you, when <laughs> yeah. you put it in the context that you just put <laughs> sure. it, in. but uh, certainly the biggest threat now. Yeah, uh, when, when for, he said, but, but he said in our his, the sentence said in our two hundred and forty six year history. So he was clearly inclusive. Well, and you know, Cheney is is very much part of that group of people that started all the way back with Nixon and have been the the backbone of mm-hmm. what Republican governing has been about for more than four decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we look at what the, the sort of the natural progression of these folks, I mean, you talk about that they started off in the Nixon White House as advisors and then became sort of Bush's people and then he became mm-hmm. vice president. And you, you look at that and all of that infrastructure, Trump's not beholden to any of it. He's called Republican Established, capital R, capital E. <laughs> well, and, you know, establishment, there has been a big anti-establishment movement. But yeah. that chaos that it's created um, really speaks against part of the reason why Republicans have been very successful in getting elected mm-hmm. in Arizona and other places is because they have plans. They know how to get things done. They know how to govern. You know, that's the uh, the old uh, the Roy Rogers statement. You know, I'm part of, I'm not part of an organized party. I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's mm-hmm. the truth of it. That, yeah. that for a long time that that's been the case. But that disorder, disorganization and the willing to attack one another. I think that's the biggest thing, threat to the Republican yeah. Party. I remember there's a famous statement. I forget what it was in issues, but they were asking Dick Cheney, well, you can't do this because this. And he said, so what? <laughs> right. <laughs> that was, we're going to do it. Any- we got the power. We're going to do it. They wield power. You know, sometimes undemocratically, but they 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 yield power. So anyway, that, that I think is, is going to be one of the most interesting. She's clearly got that option. And I, I don't think she has an option as a candidate in the Republican primary. I think she would probably more embarrass herself than anything there. I, I think that crowded field would be very challenging for her, certainly. Yeah. In that and, case. and I don't know how crowded it Pence. I don't see Pence getting much of anything either. DeSantis is formidable. There was one poll showed him ahead of Trump even in New Hampshire. So there we are. We'll return to Arizona politics in, in uh, just a moment after the break. Here we're here with Paul Bentz. Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back here with Paul Bentz from Arizona High Ground talking about uh, our national and and in this segment, state politics. Originally, this whole show was going to be about, you know, Arizona post-primary, but then I I just thought so much had happened nationally that surprisingly changed the landscape that we really had to lead with that. But uh, it was pretty much a clean slate, a a clean sweep, rather, for Trump candidates for the highest office in the state. Uh, You have Carrie Lake, the Trump-endorsed candidate for governor. Blake Masters for the United States Senate, Mark Fincham, a January 6th participant and election denier, election deniers all. And uh, uh, Abe Hamadai, somebody I hadn't heard of before. I don't know if you had running against Chris Mays for the top, really top four offices in the state. And uh, what uh, the the Trump element showed is that they uh, are in control of the Arizona primary process. 
That's right. I mean, we talked about it earlier. About Trump's worth about 40 percent of the vote. Masters won with exactly 40 percent. In, in the primary. That, and Lake won the primary with about 47 percent, 48. She won about by about five points. Fincham won with 42 percent of the vote. Hamaday, in a much more competitive, mm-hmm. crowded field, won with about 33 percent of the vote. So we, we see that the Trump base is the most solidified portion of the Republican Party. But it is not all of the party. We did a poll right before the primary election, and what we found is about 66 percent of primary voting Republicans still believe that there's significant fraud that impacts the outcome of the election. Now, that means there's 30 percent of Republicans in the primary who do not, which— Which means that that belief is a clear majority in the general electorate because that number is about zero with every other group. Right. Well, and then it's more than two to one opposed in the unaffiliated voters. Uh, Independent Mm -hmm. and unaffiliated voters are going to have a huge decision to make coming into this general election. They make up about a third of the registered voters. They'll make up about a quarter of who will actually show up. And Mm -hmm. um, what we find is they don't traditionally think that there's significant fraud impacting the outcome of the election. They don't want to ban early voting. They don't want the legislature to have the power to overturn elections. Republicans are significantly um, at a default, a, a default setting and difficult spot to be in among independents on that topic. They're also at a difficult spot when it comes to uh, the abortion issue. They, they uh, certainly are aware of that. You, we've talked about, I mean, Masters, the Senate candidate, has said no exceptions. He is, during the primary, was very forceful with his abortion position. He has since walked that back. He has since attempted to say he supports the 15-week Arizona law that's on the books. Um, but, you know, the the question is, uh, does he get away with that or do they keep holding him to the that? The answer is that it's on tape. Right. <laughs> and it is on and it's on the air already right. um, with him facing the camera directly, basically uh, purporting the, proposing the rather, you know, extreme total ban, no exceptions, rape, incest, everything, which is outside the mainstream of public opinion. And, you know, it's I think one thing to if you've made some statements and you can be quoted, but when when you're facing the camera head on and it's there and there's no ambiguity about what he said before uh, and the other side has the money to air that. Right. That that's a very uphill struggle. And I think some of those, you know, his pithy campaign signs like Blake Masters won't ask you your pronouns and that some stuff might be a hit you know, like uh, shock in the primary among yeah. that smaller audience. But that's like going to a small room to do comedy. And then mm-hmm. you try to bring it out to go to the arenas. And mm-hmm. the, some it's of the just, same jokes don't land in, yeah. in the bigger yeah. in the bigger sense. What we do see right now, though, is there's a lot of Republican enthusiasm. In the primary itself, Republicans overperformed and Democrats underperformed. By overperformed, you mean more of them showed up? More of them showed up and more people pulled a Republican ballot. In the past, it used to be about 60-40 Republicans' ballots Mm. pulled versus Democratic ballots pulled. It fell all the way in 2020 to 52-48. And so we expected with 36% turnout was what we anticipated that it would be closer to 55-45. But we saw it was about 35% turnout. That means about 35,000 to 40,000 Democrats did not show up mm-hmm. in this primary. My, my response to that would be uh, the observation I would make about that is uh, all of these races on the Republican side were hotly contested. And there was only one that was really contested on the Democratic side, and that was Secretary of State. And that was between two kind of 
vaguely acceptable candidates about whom there were no strong differences. In other words, it, it wasn't a passion and, you know, it was important. That was uh, Secretary Adrian Fontes and, and Representative Boulding. I mean, they were both broadly acceptable, you know, candidate, a little different bio, a little different demographic. But basically, I didn't see anybody getting too excited about that race. So, in effect, with that one exception, which really wasn't a very, you know, visceral race, Democrats didn't have any real choices in the primary. So it was very easy for them to say, you know, why vote? I I tend to agree that that's the common belief. The one thing Mm -hmm. I would point out is that in 2020, the only statewide race in the entire ticket was the Corporation Commission race. There was no other statewide race. Mm -hmm. And despite that, uh, Democrats closed the gap in ballot requests to 5248, the closest they've ever been. So where was that enthusiasm now? Now, one would argue that it's the Trump midterm, and so certainly they're turning out for Trump. And now you have the Trump candidates based all throughout the top of the ticket. So maybe we'll see that enthusiasm now. Um, We'll know pretty quickly, though, because here's the other Mm -hmm. thing that happened in the primary. A significant portion of Republicans changed from early voting to election day and drop-off voting. Mm -hmm. Now, more than 70% of Republicans still voted early. Early voting is incredibly popular. It's, it's the way of Arizona, which makes it very difficult for Republicans to oppose. It. But voting behavior mm-hmm. has been in the past, early ballots used to start significantly older, trend mm-hmm. towards our senior population, mm-hmm. and significantly Republican. And then they would trend younger and more Democratic as we got closer to the election. And election days used to benefit Democrats. Yep. Um, if you remember in 2018, Kirsten Cinema was losing on election yep, day to Martha sure Sally. But we knew she was going to win. And how did we mm-hmm. know she was going to win? Because we knew the, the ballot drop-offs and election day voters would trend more Democratic yep. and younger. Now, that that has completely flipped. We just saw in the that's, Republican- that's when, as an analyst, where it's always fun to, to be asked the question, because you get to be the guru who says, well, this guy's behind and he's going to win. And and because and when you pronounce that the person who's ahead is going to win, everybody says, well, that's obvious. Yeah, it's fun to call your shot. And, yeah. and we said during the this primary, during the Republican gubernatorial primary, we said that uh, Karen Taylor Robeson needed to be up with early votes if she had any shot of winning. And she was. She was up by about 10 points mm-hmm. when the early votes started. What I don't think anybody anticipated was that the election day voters so were going to be so strong for Lake. That does speak to a significant shift in the Republican voting behavior. And, and so it's not hard to figure out where that came from. You've got Donald Trump saying, don't trust early votes. They, you know, mail, don't trust them, don't trust them, vote on election day. I think that presents a, a real long term problem for Republicans because, as you know, with your votes, you want to bank them early. Right. You want your people to vote early because if vote early, you know they're voting. If you tend to vote, if you intend to vote on election day, Sometimes stuff happens in all of those people, even though they intend to, just stuff in their personal life happens and you lose some people. Right. Here's a little secret to all the listeners out there. Mm -hmm. If you want to be left alone during the election, vote early, vote early, (laughs) mail your ballot in. Any campaign worth its salt will leave you alone because once they know you voted, they're not going to send you any more mail. They're not going to call you. They're not going to knock on your door because they know you voted. And Republicans just took their own advantage away. Mm -hmm. They... Now have to talk to those folks all the way through. It creates a larger audience. Like Mike said, what you want is you want to bank your votes so you can leave them alone and move on to different folks. But you're going to have to talk to those individuals all the way through the election. Mm -hmm. But what we'll know is – so if Democrats don't have a nice lead 
uh, starting on October 12th when early voting starts, if we don't see them building up. So, of course, a, we, we won't see that. Oh, 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 you'll see in terms of the numbers of which party voted. Right. So we'll, so we'll know. We can. We don't know how you voted, but we know if you voted. And so, and if we know your party, we have a, we, the relative partisan distribution of the vote gives us a pretty darn good indicator. Right. And so in the primary, for example, Democrats overperformed early and then Republicans going into election day had about an 18,000 vote advantage. Usually it's about 40,000. So they had basically cut their own advantage in half. Now, they came back and, and won it pretty handily mm-hmm. by drop-offs and, and election day voting. But um, if Democrats don't jump out to an early lead, if there is an underperformance or a lack of enthusiasm, we'll see it pretty quickly. And that will let us know because basically it's going to be almost the reverse of what we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. In order for Democrats to win statewide office in this election, they're going to have to go into election day with a vote lead. And when those first ballots drop at 8 p.m., they need to be up. If they're not up at 8 p.m., it's game over. Yeah, if the Republicans are ahead in the first batch, it's all over. Absolutely. Democrats will be ahead. The question is by how much. They have to be. Otherwise, yeah. it's or all over. Otherwise, it's all over. Right. And it's that's the reverse of what it – of course, that's the reverse of what it used to be. But, of course, in the, old, in the really old days, they didn't count those until the end. So – and this is where Arizona differs from other states. You have to know uh, how much of an early vote is there. But you also have to know what gets counted first. In Arizona, almost all of the early vote gets counted first, except what I call the late early people, the people who voted on Monday. Right. They they won't have they they stop counting on Monday, so they get everything through Sunday, mm-hmm. and they they drop that. Then they do the day of voting. Then they do what I call the late earlies. Right. Which are closer in their characteristics to the early earlies, because they're all. They're all, uh, you know, they're all, uh, they're all early votes. Some of them are earlier than others. The drop-offs, though, will, in this last time, and I'm, I mm-hmm. tend to agree with you. I have for many years. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the pe- the mail-in votes from Monday and Tuesday, but, not the drop-off at the because the drop-off yeah. people tend to act like election day voters. Yes, now. they, they so, are election. They are people who are voting on election day. They're just bringing in a ballot with them. So, I mean, Democrats will have to be in significant lead early. And, and and this is important to note just because people talk about, oh, we went to bed and something was happening. And then by the time I woke up, something different was happening. Yeah. That's just by virtue of – that's the our recorders following the law and making sure that every vote is appropriately, properly counted and followed in the, in the and procedures. And it was completely predictable. Yes. <laughs> it was – to anybody who understands how they count the votes – Every all of us knew that that is exactly what was going to happen. What we didn't, we knew which groups would be tended to be favored in the late counted votes. We didn't know by how much. Right. And that's why when you have somebody who's ahead and or and, and the other side is winning on the late counted, but you know, they're going to close the margin. What you don't know is whether it crosses 50 percent. Absolutely. In a, in a close race. You may not. You may. But you can you, you know, somebody's ahead. You can tell one of two things, depending on which side's ahead. Either they're going to increase their lead. Or it's going in the other direction. And if it's going the other direction, it may or may not cross the 50% threshold. Well, Mike, I heard you call your shot. You, you yeah. just said Democrats are going to be winning on election night. I mean, the question is by how much. And I tend yeah. to agree with yeah. you. I think that's what we're likely to see. If they're not, it's a Republican blowout. And it'll be, it's, you know, it's all over yeah. if that's the yeah. case. And and I, it, you know, the other thing about the, uh, and, and we'll, the, before we go to break, I'll make the last comment the, uh, about your, your, your discussion about the relative vote and enthusiasm. The events of the last two, three weeks, I think, have uh, have quite potentially changed that enthusiasm uh, issue 
the Biden signing of bills, the the waning of inflation, maybe uh, the waning of gas prices for sure and likely to continue. So there's a all the la- all, all the trends of the last 30 days would tend to produce Democratic enthusiasm. Anyway, we'll be back and we'll talk a little more, Mike, where we'll talk about the legislature and anything else that comes up when we return in just a moment in the think tank with Paul Benz. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Okay, we've had a quick run through politics at all levels. The the remaining uh, key in the state of Arizona is the legislature. Uh, the uh, Republicans have held sway in the le- uh, in the legislature more or less for the last 50 years, with I think about a two-year exception and another two years of one house being tied. Uh, they currently have a one-vote majority in each legislative chamber, which has occasionally created a situation where one uh, senator or one representative can hold things up and either get what they want or require uh, a Democratic vote or two. Um, look at the lay of the land here. And uh, the real question is, do the Democrats have any realistic hope for a tie in either house as you see it? At this point, the Democrats would basically have to run the table with all of the swing districts in order Which to Which is about four or five of them. So right? there, are, there are four highly competitive districts in mm-hmm. the state of Arizona following redistricting. Districts two, four, nine and 13. And for those at home, basically- You got to tell us where those are. So it's basically, if you go down the 101 corridor, so if you kind of do it like a North Phoenix and then come down to Paradise Valley, and then you come into like West Mesa and Tempe, and then you go down into Gilbert. It's suburbs. It's It's Phoenix suburbs. High wage, high income earning uh, areas. The challenge that Democrats face though on the House side is each of those districts, they only- uh, sat. They only ran one candidate. Ooh. They're doing a single shot strategy, which will probably work for them to give one of each. But when mm. you split those, the Republicans get the other four seats. And so the House right now, we're, we're projecting it looks like it's about a, at least a 31 Republican vote. Uh, majority, and that is which is a, what they have right now. Correct, and but that means they need to win two, four, nine, thirteen, and then the other nine seat. There's two seats up in District Nine. That's where Scandalberry defeated Pace. There's a, a pretty crowded field. What's, where's the geography of nine? that? Is the Tempe West Mesa district, mm-hmm. and so the the matchup there you see it's is kind of the old Jerry Lewis. Bastion, yes, right? LD twenty five. Some but which was that. Pre- prior to that was Russell Pierce and, <laughs> and Bob Worsley. So Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. Russell, uh, Bob Worsley. Prior to that, Russell Pierce. You've got Scandalberry versus Birch, and then you've got Mendoza and Pierce on the Republican side versus Austin and Blattman. I think people are really watching that race closely because basically, in order to win, Democrats would need to have two pickups uh, in that race, and I think it's more likely to be split, like we see some of the. You're other talking House now. Stuff. That's on the House side. Okay. The Senate side. They would need to pick up two, four, and nine, and potentially 13. They'd need to pick up three out of the four to split. The -hmm. Democrats would need to. And as I recall, when I looked at those numbers, they were all competitive, but I think they were all, or at least three of the four, leaned Republican. The the registration, they are all competitive, either Mm -hmm. a slight independent advantage or it's pretty evenly split. But when you talk about Republican participation, especially if there's Republican enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. um, we expect them to be slightly better for Republicans. Here's the challenge. When we look at, and we're going to go back to statewide races, I know, when you look at the statewide ticket, I don't see a lot of Republicans who are going to suddenly go all 
vote all democratically. We mm-hmm. saw in 2020 both Kelly and Biden won, and then Republicans held on to the super the supervisor's offices in Maricopa County, and they also held on to the legislature. These Republicans did not become Democrats. They found a couple of Republican candidates unpalatable and voted for them, and then they voted. I wonder if even maybe there's a greater tendency, if you see yourself as a Republican, if you've picked up a couple of Democrats at an at upper-level office that you prefer, maybe the tie then goes to voting for Republicans. Right. If you're if you trend that way. I mean, we mm-hmm. look at the a lot of these races. If you look at some of the down ballot races, the um, they they trend Republicans still, at least in Maricopa County. Mm-hmm. So I expect it's going to be very difficult for them to split one of these. Chambers. And the other thing about those races, we get to the lower level races. Very often the people don't know who the candidates are and they revert to a partisan a partisan label. Maybe if they voted for a couple of Democrats up top, and they, but they're registered Republicans, traditional Republican voters, maybe they feel even more compelled to reassert the fact that they're real Republicans by voting for the Republican rather than the Democrat in a race where they really don't know either candidate. To balance it out a little bit. Yeah, right? yeah. So we may end up in a situation where you have a very conservative slash populist legislature mm-hmm. and Democrats could make gains at the top of the ticket. And, and that's one of the things that I think people... Uh, struggle with in nineteen or in twenty eighteen, we had one hundred ninety five thousand Ducey Cinema voters. They voted for Cinema at the top of the ticket, and then switched mm-hmm. over and voted for Ducey. I think those voters are very discerning, and so it'll be interesting to see where they go in this upcoming election. Okay, we got a little over three minutes left. I want to ask you: We have these top four races: the governor's race, the Senate race, the Secretary of State, and the Attorney General race. In each case, a pretty extremist Trump candidate has uh, gotten the Republican nomination. And up to this point, we've sort of talked about those all collectively. Are there any of those among those four Republicans that you think are stronger than the others? In other words, if if the Democrats, there's a case that the Democrats could sweep those, but are, if that doesn't happen, who would be the one or two or however many Republicans you think are, are stronger in that crowd? I think the governor's race is going to be very competitive because mm-hmm. Carrie Lake is such a likable figure. You know, she's an actress. She's done mm-hmm. a very good job of a persona for many, many years. I think that race is going to be very challenging. It's going to come down to Hobbs stepping up her game if she wants to be competitive. Mm-hmm. I think in this. And sec- I think uh, just a snippet of com- conversation about that, even though Hobbs has been in statewide office, it's a real. She's been relatively anonymous, not terribly well known. Um, she did raise a significant amount of money based mm-hmm. on election fraud. Uh, speaking of election fraud, mm-hmm. I do think Fontes is probably better suited against Fincham because that's going to be the number one issue in that and, race. And he's already got an established track record. His predecessor or his successor in the Maricopa County job, which he held before, said in this studio and other places he ran a clean election. Right. That's a great in from a very, very conservative Republican. And the down ballot races, uh, when you talk about attorney general and, and those, I think those are going to be competitive simply because of the Republican built in advantage. Mm-hmm. It's going to it's going to be up to the Democrats to really step up their game if they want to be competitive. I think Mays has done a good job so far talking about water issues and Saudis pumping water unregulated. In rural and that's Arizona. something where she has expertise and, as a former corporation commissioner. She's, she's definitely got experience in that. And she put out a very strong statement of supporting public safety which I know is something that they've they've attacked her on in the past. So I think 
the down ballot races, we could see a spot where we see, you know, Kelly win and maybe Hobbs win, but then some of these down ballot races yeah. go to Republicans. Of the four of them, I think Kelly's the strongest. I think Mark Kelly is probably in the best position. He's got presidential fundraising numbers. He rolled out a great commercial early on showing bipartisan support, the Republican mayor of Mesa backing him. Mm-hmm. He's the one who seems to get it the most right now. The other mm-hmm. Democrats should And he's be an incumbent. More than that, though, I think the other Democrats mm-hmm. should be taking notes. He's recognized that he needs to be an Arizonan, mm-hmm. not a partisan. The rest of these Democrats need to take off their partisan hats and I think compete for those independents who are making up their mind. Okay. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I think election. it's going to be a fun race to watch. We'll know pretty early on whether or not Democrats have a shot in this election. Because they need to be ahead in their, when, when they the first tranche of votes that come out in election night, if they're not heavily Democratic, it's all over. That's right. We agree on that point. Absolutely. Uh, Not on everything, but that always makes for an interesting conversation. And uh, we will return next week in the Think Take on on another topic. In the meantime, if you want to reach me, the website is mikeoneal.org, and there's a vehicle there for social media, email, and the rest. See you next week in the Think Tank.